1: Welcome to the latest edition
2: of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball as uh, we kick off the month of December. My name is Tyler Maughan with Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill in New York City. Gentlemen, what's going on? Um, I mean, generally, <laughs> a, or a bit yes. more, more like in your lives. What's going yeah, on in your lives? Say, how was how your Thanksgiving, Tyler? <laughs> It was delightful. It was uh, as, as you guys both know, normally I'm out there for Thanksgiving, but uh, you know, of course the last two years uh, things have been different. So last year did Thanksgiving, just me, my mom, my dad, this year, my aunt, uncle and cousin who uh, live in the city, live in Manhattan, I normally visit for Thanksgiving, they actually came out here, uh, which I don't believe they have ever done. So we did a Thanksgiving at my mom's house with the six of us, which was super fun. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was great. I've not weighed myself since. So in that respect, things are fine. How about you guys? I assume you've just been working out until you can weigh yourself. Up. Yeah, exactly. Just, yes. uh, just a constant that and like uh, starvation slash force feeding myself leafy greens, you know, <laughs> which is the only way that I can eat them is force feeding. Yeah, sure. If you say so. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll believe you. I'll take wow. Opinion. Did you just say that I look fat over zoom, Sam? Is that basically what you were saying? We have evidence that I did not say that. That's the whole point of a podcast is that people know exactly. We what can go know. to the tape,
0: the digital tape. The tape and everybody can hear that. I said, I trust you 100%. <laughs> Tyler uh, no, Thanksgiving was good though. It was, it was good to be uh, around the family and, and back in person this year. That was, a, that was a huge thing going back to Connecticut. Um, yeah. Being with my nephew and niece and, and them actually like, my niece actually wanting turkey and knowing what turkey is this year. She was one, one years old last year. She's two now. Um, knowing all the stuff she wanted, we played games of, like, memory with her food and with my nephew's huh. food of, like, have turkey, then cranberry, then potatoes, then carrots. Okay. Try to remember it. And then all of a sudden, they had a clean plate. Like, it was just That's a, that's a pretty, pretty good exercise. Hours. Yeah.
2: That seems yeah. that seems very good. I'll um, it to my
0: uh, brother-in-law, who has to deal with these kids every day. So I'm sure he's... <laughs>
2: At his creative wit's He's figured out all the goals, all the yeah. games. Um, ben, uh, you have a, a tiny human who you got to experience Thanksgiving with for the first time. What's the, you know, I know Harry's obviously not at a, at an age where you're setting down a giant plate of turkey and stuffing a mashed potatoes and everything in front of him. What was Thanksgiving like for you guys?
3: Yeah, Harry, uh, he eats a lot of purees, a lot of uh, finger foods as it were. He loves food, though. Uh, but, yeah, it was his Thanksgiving. We stayed in Brooklyn in our apartment. And uh, my brother and his fiance came over and uh, it was very low key. It was my first turkey ever, as regards me actually making a turkey. I somehow made it this far in my life to being like the point man on the turkey. And it came out pretty well. But then, especially because I made it and because I'm kind of compulsive in general, I was very into uh, using all the leftovers and being really conscientious. And I got some good, like, you know, not just like sandwich type stuff, but some good, like, post Thanksgiving meals out of it but I think I pushed it a little too far in my quest to use everything and maybe that's why I don't feel very good
2: today. (laughs) um turkey carcass soup was (laughs) this that sounds like something you get on like a diner uh in the southeast or somewhere oh we're in uh we're in mobile alabama we're having turkey carcass soup um there are obviously so many things for us to discuss here on this week's episode of the show before the show but before we get to that i just want to ask both of you this question uh thanksgiving dinner or leftovers what's better
0: Ben, you want to take this as somebody who's actually a connoisseur of this now?
3: <laughs> I guess so. Um,
0: I have my thoughts, but I want you to share yours. No,
3: I like leftovers, especially because I, you know, again, I was it was a low-key Thanksgiving, but I was like the point man for the whole meal. So I get very stressed. You know, I'm just making a dinner for two. Yeah. I'm very stressed about how it's going to come out, and so I just felt the pressure was on. So even though everything came out pretty well, you know, I just didn't really relax and enjoy it. It was just kind of like, all right, all right, let's do it, let's do it. Okay, it's good. No one's dying. All right, this is great. But then, Thanksgiving, you can then like you know at night after a few drinks, you look in the refrigerator and you're like, "Yeah, I made this. I did. Yeah, this. I'm the best." <laughs> you know, and that's basically how my life goes: hating what I do in the moment and thinking I failed, and then reassessing it and being like, "You know what? I think I'm okay."
2: Yeah, I, I get
0: that. Um, Sam, thoughts? I, honestly, I I told Ben to go first just so I could organize my thoughts because my first thought was, "You want the genuine article." And I say this is somebody who didn't have to cook this year, but like you want the freshest stuff, like as it comes out of the oven right there, right to your plate. That being said, I will probably go with leftovers because there are no expectations for leftovers. Oh, I can okay. make a sandwich that has stuffing turkey and a cranberry sauce as a condiment on it. And no it's going to be
2: good regardless. Right, you right, like mash all that stuff it. together,
0: right? You know, that makes do, sense. Do what uh, some might call the Boston Market special, which is just you get all the things and then you just swirl it all, just together. slop it all together. Yeah, and it's no, my favorite thing you. about
2: Thanksgiving, yeah, exactly. It's my favorite thing is all of the flavors are so complimentary, you can just throw it all in one giant bite, and it's right. I love it, it's my favorite. Um, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm with you. Well, um this week's episode of the show before the show, obviously uh, a little bit different one, um, but we're kicking it off in our requisite uh, modes of insanity because you know that's what people expect from us uh, here on this friendly neighborhood minor league baseball podcast. Um, the Spotify Wrapped are wrapped wraps wraps W R A P P E D S are coming out for people. We already heard from people yesterday whose top podcast of the year. Was this very podcast, the Minor League Baseball podcast? Shout out to uh to Dax Littleton who uh who uh submitted that to us on Twitter, which was very cool. And um, you know, just hearing from I've actually over the last few months been more randomly told by people, oh man, I just love the the minor league podcast, you and Sam and Ben and and all of that. And and that's very cool. So I think people are expecting nothing different. Uh, from us other than tap dancing and talking about food for a little while at the start of a, a big and different episode. But uh, it is December 2nd. 2021 and Major League Baseball and the Major League Players Association are uh, officially in a work stoppage for the first time since uh, 1994-95. And uh, that means, obviously, a little bit of uh, a different reality for all of us uh, at the MLB.com side. It does not necessarily mean a a very different reality for this podcast specifically. Um, And we'll get into that and explain it why Uh, I am... As anyone who is tuned into this show is aware, I'm not in the office in New York City. Uh, you two guys are. Um, so we're going to talk about kind of where things stand as of today. But I think we're we're going to ultimately hit and hammer the point that for us on the minor league side, uh, it's largely business as usual at the moment. The podcast will stay pretty much the same. We'll get to cover a, a lot of the same stuff uh, and have more of our nonsensical conversations. But, uh, Sam, you want to just kind of lay out uh, where we sit right now? Yeah, so... Things are going to be a little bit different um, during the work stoppages,
0: as Tyler just mentioned there. But one great thing about this is that we are the minor league baseball podcast. Minor league baseball is not affected by the lockout for all intents and purposes. If the, the work stoppage were to continue into April or May, Lord knows none of us want that on either side, on any side. Um, but minor league baseball would still exist uh, going into the 2022 season, that's not going to be affected. Uh, next week, the major league portion of the winter meetings has been canceled, but the minor league side will continue and our own Kelsey Hennigan will be down there covering that for us. Um, so we can talk to her about that going forward. Um, you know, there, there is a transactions freeze at least on the major league side right now. Um, so we can't talk about free agent signings and how they affect teams or trades and how they affect teams. Those aren't going to happen for a while until this ends. Um, but all that said, we we can bring you like we're bringing you an interview this week with the Number Tamer talking about minor league attendance. We still have the ballpark guides that are going to be ongoing that you can visit on the website. Um, there are a lot of angles in which to cover minor league baseball. Uh, we, we've gone through you know tough times last year of like what are we going to talk about without baseball going on. If you stuck with us through that, stick with us through this. Um, we're still going to be with you all off season leading into the 2022 season and um, bringing you a lot of fun stuff to talk about that, you know, is allowed here. Um, If you go to MLB.com, you can kind of see that there is a note about what content can be. It's going to be a lot more history focused. It's going to be a lot more minor league focused and we fit in one of those buckets uh, pretty well. So We're glad to have you back this week. I know we took off last week for Thanksgiving. Uh, We wanted to come back this week to kind of be with you guys and know that this is a a weird week, but um, hopefully weird weeks are going to be fewer and fewer as as we go forward, but we won't know until uh, the work stoppage officially comes to an end.
2: So... Uh, my, uh, my meeting controls on zoom went away. So I wasn't, uh, able to unmute my mic. Um, we've been doing this for a long time. I still can't find the correct buttons to do things. Uh, the number tamer is uh, a name that uh, minor league baseball fans are probably familiar with um, and yet maybe don't know uh, everything behind, but you guys got a chance to speak with the number tamer. Ben, tell us about this conversation and uh, kind of where the um, the inspiration for becoming the number tamer like a, like a superhero movie became.
3: <laughs> it's a superhero origin story.
2: I am to become the number tamer. It's yeah, I think... Uh,
3: I don't know how well known David Cronheim is uh, to the average fan, but I think people who are really immersed in the industry and minor league baseball and professional baseball attendance and who really like um, that kind of information might be familiar with him. NumberTamer.com is his website. And, uh, you know, we're going to cover it all in the interviews. So don't want to be too redundant with it. But uh, his latest report came out just recently over the last couple of weeks. He's been doing uh, professional baseball attendance reports for over two decades. And um, even though he does it on his own and, you know, not through any other entity and uh, makes them available for free. I mean, it's clearly a labor of love, but I've never seen, uh, you know, through all these myriad internet sources, I've never seen anything that comes close to uh, David Cronheim, AKA the number tamer um, in terms of level of detail and information you can find um, in his reports. And if you just like parsing minor league baseball, professional baseball attendance, it's, it's a great resource. So get psyched. We're going to talk to him. Here on the Show Before the Show podcast, I, Ben Hill, and sitting to my left, Sam Dykstra, are joined by a very special guest, David Kronheim, a.k.a. the Number Tamer. And if you work in minor league baseball or major league baseball, or if you're just interested in baseball attendance, uh, David releases annual attendance reports uh, since 1998, um, really going deep into the specifics of baseball attendance, and it's a great resource, something I've uh, used as a resource in my own writing for many years, and uh, we want to have him on today just to talk about a very interesting year in uh, baseball, attendance and otherwise. So, David, thanks so much for being here.
4: Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I hope I can provide some useful information.
3: Well, to start, you are The Number Tamer, um, you know, your website, The Number Tamer. Uh, could you speak a little bit about uh, how that nickname came about and how you got involved in putting together some of the most uh, detailed baseball attendance reports anyone would be able to find anywhere?
4: Well, I started my career as a sportscaster in college many, many years ago and then got into the advertising business as a market research analyst and also as a copywriter specializing in doing funny radio commercials. But I worked on a lot of sports-related accounts, like Foot Locker, Lady Foot Locker, Champ Sports. and They did a lot of advertising with sports. They used players in their ads. And I was once asked, did I know what markets that had Champ stores also had minor league baseball teams? And I said, sure, I could find that out very easily. And just put that list together, and also I threw in attendance. I thought they might like to know that. And eventually I was working as a freelancer, still working for that same ad agency, and you're trying to expand your business. So as a creative person, I had what they call a reel, a tape of my TV ads, radio commercials. As a market research analyst, I had a lot of reports that I had written, but they all had confidential data in it. I couldn't share it, but I could share baseball attendance information. And that's where it really started out as just writing something to provide a sample of my work that didn't have confidential data. What I found is that people enjoyed reading about it. The reactions I get from people is, oh, I love minor league baseball. I went to minor league baseball games when I was a kid. It really was a lot of fun experience for me. And I just kept expanding and expanding on it. And these days, with the Internet, it's so much easier to get a lot of information. And this thing just grew and grew and grew.
3: Yeah, and the reports are available for free on NumberTamer.com. As I said, a great resource. But here in 2021, or as we look back on the 2021 season... Safe to say a season no like (laughs) a season unlike any other uh, with uh, obviously coming back from COVID and all the the late start to the season, the capacity restrictions combined with the larger reorganization of minor league baseball with less teams, teams in new leagues. Uh, So you've been doing this for over two decades and often comparing one year to the last and recognizing big trends. Uh, But this year kind of threw a lot of that out the window. Um, What was your takeaways from doing an attendance report in minor league baseball uh, for this very anomalous season?
4: Well, first of all, from both major league and minor league baseball, unlike other years where I will write, well, this team drew this in 2021, they drew whatever it was in 2020, let's say, and this is an increase of this much and a percentage increase or decrease of that much. I took that all out. I just mentioned the 2019 attendance. I never got into how much it was up, how much it was down, because that's totally misleading, and I'll get to that in a moment as to, as to why it is. With the minor leagues, I did the same thing, stayed away from those kinds of comparisons, plus you had the entire reorganization, not only of the major league affiliated leagues, but also of the independent leagues. You had two affiliated leagues, the Mexican League and the Pioneer League, that now became MLB partner affiliated leagues. And so this has been quite hard to do. It's not simply being able to overwrite the previous year's report. So it's been a little more of a challenge, but I still enjoy doing it.
0: Yeah, and and, um, in doing that, I mean, like, one thing that's going to stand out, I know you said you didn't do comparisons uh, for that just because of the crazy year of 2020 and and all that was happening, Um, but did you look into – like a lot of minor league stadiums opened this year with 40% capacity, 50% capacity, what have you and how that kind of factored in, like how, how did you look at the first half of the year and kind of bake that into your analysis?
4: Okay. I did not do it with the minor leagues as far as, because sometimes it's hard to find the information. When did they go to full capacity? But I did it with the major leagues because I was able to, through the major league statistics system that I have access to and able as a member of the media, and so I was able to do that and come up, for example, in the major leagues, the full capacity, when they were able to go to full capacity, major league games averaged 24,051 per date. The all games average was 18,908. So I was able to break this out. If you go by, uh, you know, obviously when, when they didn't have full capacity, it was very, very small, much, much smaller But once they got to full capacity, it still was below 2019, but obviously a significant improvement. One of the things that I think I stayed away from, again, doing the 2021 versus 2019 comparison was, and this was true in both the major leagues and minor leagues, the teams with the biggest declines in total attendance were the teams that normally draw best because they had the most to lose because of the reduced capacity, because of in some cases, a shorter season, late start to a season, and the uncertainties. It was hard to prepare promotions and so many things that are a part, especially of minor league baseball, group sales, and it was hard to do that. You didn't know when is the season going to start, are they going to play, what's the capacity going to be, and that really had a significant effect on attendance as well.
0: Yeah, and... and Looking at it from the other end, um, some of the successes here, specifically when it comes to minor league baseball, I want to point out three that you highlight in your report, which were in Worcester, Kanapolis, and Rocket City. Um, all three places opening up new ballparks, um, but not only seeing like strong attendance numbers for this year, especially, but basically any year. It seems like Worcester beat out anything that Pawtucket would have had, and and Rocket City beat out certainly. Uh, what they used to have, but w- what team, any team from the Huntsville area used to have. What did you kind of notice about trends in those areas and how much a new ballpark helped them even in 2021?
4: Oh, those are huge, considering the fact that these teams drew better with a shorter season and all of the uncertainties, and they still drew better than what they drew either in the old ballpark or in their former cities in 2019. It's not surprising But it's still quite an accomplishment. My thought was that if this had been a normal season in minor league baseball, and if last year had been normal with the new ballparks and the relocations, plus the Mexican League adding two new teams, that minor league baseball, at least what were affiliated teams in 2019, had a really good chance of setting an all-time attendance record, either in total attendance or average per date, or both. Because And those new ballparks, that is really part of what has driven the incredible growth in minor league baseball attendance over the past 30 years, new ballparks and new markets.
0: And, and as somebody who has studied this for, like you said, close to three decades now, um, you've seen multiple new ballparks open, and then what happens after that? So when we were talking about these places in Worcester, Kannapolis, Rocket City, I know you don't do necessarily projections, but when you look forward, and it 2022 knock on wood can be even more normal do you think they could even build on these based off what you've seen previously or does it usually tail off after that first season
4: well they will build this year I would guess that all of these teams will have increases in attendance because they're going to play a longer schedule and the fact that, again, you don't have the uncertainties. They might not be starting off. In Worcester, as well as they did, they started off with restricted attendance, and once they got to full capacity, they were basically selling out every game. And so I would think being able to do that over a full season and a longer season, you're going to see increases in attendance. The other question about how does this continue well, Yogi Berra once said, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. And I get asked to make predictions at times, and I said, you can be sure of one thing. Half the time, at least, I'll be wrong. And there really is no set answer. In some places, like, for example, we've seen it in Nashville and Charlotte. They open up a new ballpark, Indianapolis, going back to a team that opened a new ballpark in the mid-'90s. And they draw incredibly well, and the attendance stays that way. It goes up and down a little bit in part because of weather. Sometimes it helps if you have a really good team. You might be hurt a bit if your team is really bad, although in the minor leagues that's not one loss record. is not that much of a factor. But sometimes these teams draw very, very well, and they stay that way. Other times, and I have, and I make this available to anyone who wants it. It's all free. I created a database showing yearly total attendance and yearly average per date for every current minor league city going back as far as I could go back, and in some cases it goes back more than 100 years. And if you look at the patterns of when they open a new ballpark, again, some draw very well for a long period of time, for good really, and some they draw very well for a year or two, and then the attendance plummeted. You you mentioned Rocket City, which is in Madison, Alabama, just outside of Huntsville. The former team in Huntsville drew 300,000 their first year. And then their attendance just plunged, and it was really, really bad before the team ended up moving. The same thing happened to the team in Mobile, Alabama, which is now the team that became Rocket City. They drew very well in the beginning, and again, had a new ballpark, and the attendance eventually went way, way down. Other teams draw very well at the beginning. The attendance comes down a little bit, and then it basically plateaus. And they still draw well, but not quite as well as they did their first season. Yeah, and you made the um,
3: the relevant point, David, that the teams that had the biggest drops in attendance were the ones that had the most to lose, because if they're drawing a lot of people and then they suddenly can't for various reasons, then they're going to lose the most. But yet, um, the two teams that had the best attendance in all of minor league baseball um, you know, were, were t- top-drawing teams in previous years as well. We had a uh, Number one in all of minor league baseball in the Triple A East, the Nashville Sounds, and um, number two in the Triple A West, uh, the Las Vegas Aviators. Uh, what do you think contributed to their success, or why they, or how they were able to overcome, you know, the baked-in challenges to the 2021 season?
4: What happened to them was simply why the same reasons they drew very well in 2021 were the same reasons they've drawn well before. Well, for Las Vegas, it's a relatively recent phenomenon. And getting into a new ballpark, and the same thing with Nashville. And the new par- ballpark help in attendance hasn't worn off in any of these places yet. So it's it really the same thing. They just had fewer dates, and they had to probably deal with some attendance restrictions, uh, capacity restrictions at the start. So that's not surprising. But I, I can tell you, if you look at the teams with the biggest declines in total attendance of, of the – 10 of the 13 teams with the biggest declines drew over 500,000 in 2019. Simply put, the teams that had the biggest declines were the teams that had the most to lose from the uncertainty and from the reduced capacity restrictions, and they did. And it's, the example I give in my report is if you take a team, if you have two ballparks and they're each at reduced capacity of 3,000, and one has a team that averages 8,000, per date for a season, and the other one has a team that averages 2,500. The team that averages 8,000 is going to be hurt a lot more by a reduced capacity restriction, and that's what happened. It happened in the major leagues as well. The teams that were down 1 million in total attendance, with the exception of the Arizona Diamondbacks, these were all the top draws in the majors, the Red Sox, the Angels, Dodgers, Yankees, Cubs, Cardinals, uh, the Giants, and you know that if it had been a regular season, these teams would have all done, or almost all of them would have done really, really well. I think the Dodgers might have drawn four million for one thing
3: yeah and, and in speaking of how attendance is tallied you I saw an interesting note in your uh, report that the Pecos League, which is a pretty low level independent league, is the only league in all the professional baseball to not include no-shows in their attendance reports, meaning that all the other teams and leagues, uh, they report tickets sold for attendance, but that doesn't necessarily translate to people showing up at the ballpark. Um, does that aspect get tricky to break down, or is there any way to find out who's actually in the ballpark uh, on any given night? And uh, you know, what are your thoughts on how teams you know quantify attendance in that way?
4: I always use that as a qualifier. I can only report the attendance that they announce. There is no way for me to know how many people are in the ballpark. Also, a lot of announced attendance in both the majors and minors includes fans who are getting in for free. In fact, the Miami Marlins, one of the reasons their attendance was basically cut in half a few years ago wasn't that the attendance was half of what it was, but they decided not to count all those fans that were getting in for free, the kids and sometimes... Uh, the senior citizens and other people that were either getting in for free or at huge discounts, and they pointed that out to me, and that's why in my report I'll have like a box that explains all of that. And uh, different teams sometimes use different criteria to report attendance, and I can't really know what each one is, but there is no way for me to ever even guess how many people are in the ballpark. And I've been to games where they announce attendance, and – you know that there are not anywhere close to that number of people in the ballpark. But again, all I can do is go by what they announced. As far as the Pecos League goes, they're a team, a league. They actually set an attendance record this year, total attendance and average per day. They play in very small markets, in very, very small facilities, but still that's a tremendous accomplishment. But they only count fans in the stands, so you'd have to figure their number of tickets they sell is probably a little higher than what it is. But there's absolutely no way to know. Uh, the teams do know it, but there's no way for me to know how many people actually are in the stands overall at a game.
0: And, and David, this will be the last one for me. Um, in in compiling these reports, you know this document that would have in front of me about 2021 minor league attendance mixed in with major league attendance and independent leagues is 61 pages like you said you have data going back in some cases a hundred years on how attendance has waxed and waned in certain cities um, so as you kind of notice these trends we talked about them a few of them some of them are easy easy is opening up a new stadium but if a team is going to come to you and say like in 2023 we want to maybe set an attendance record based off what you've seen historically. What is a good practice to make that happen? And I use 2023 because hopefully you know we're really right. past the pandemic at that point. Um, but is it as simple as just opening up a new stadium, or is there are there some other well, trends you notice to make? that Well,
4: happen? opening a new stadium would be the biggest factor of anything, and that will ha- I've noticed that has had the biggest. Either teams relocating, I, I could go two ways and say relocate to another market, but I don't think that's the, the something that would apply to almost all teams you hate to see teams leave a market anyway but the biggest one would be opening a new stadium also what happens now and this is something that's relatively new and that is the teams are getting rebranded they're getting new nicknames new logos new mascots and that for a lot of teams seems to help and one thing they do is they sell a lot of merchandise these uh team names they're coming in and I'm trying to remember, which it was either the Wichita Wind Surge or it was the Rocket City Trash Pandas who sold a million dollars worth of merchandise before they ever played a game. And you think about it, in the minor leagues, that's a lot of sales. And so I would say those two things, rebrand or new ballparks. And then, of course, there are different promotions you can run, although most minor league teams run that. And... Ben probably knows this better than anyone because he reports on this, and if you read his reports, you really learn about the different promotions that teams run to get people into the ballpark. They make it a lot of fun. That's what makes minor league baseball so much fun. It's, coming to the games is nice, but all the other activities that are around it. And so that would probably be the best way. The one thing now in the major leagues – you could say new ballpark and a winning team. In the minor leagues, winning and losing is really a very small factor. So my thing would be a new, a new stadium helps, but you, know, you can't get that very often. Rebranding, promotions, ask the fans what they want. Try to find out. It might be something as simple as game time. When would, you like, would you like to have more day games? That's another quick point I want to make. In 2021 in the minor leagues, a very big promotional thing in the minor leagues in recent years have been school days and camp days where they play games at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and bring in a lot of children from schools during the summer from camps. There was very little of that in 2021 because of the uncertainty. And I have a table where I show the number of these games on the original schedules in previous years and how there was maybe like one-fifth that number in twenty twenty one and you're building fans for the future with that when you get these kids into the ballpark, those are your fans of the future, and you hope they come back again
3: yeah, and what you're just hitting on there, David, is just how much there is to break down, and you can go into a seemingly endless rabbit hole when you're uh analyzing uh twenty twenty one or any season's uh baseball attendance, especially in the minor leagues. Um, but you 've put in untold who knows thousands of hours into it. Uh, do, do you get feedback from people in the industry or questions or um, you know have you found yourself in collaboration with people in baseball who read these reports and uh, oh. and want to know more
4: oh sure i get I hear from people all the time people i 've known from for years, and uh, i 've always told them any questions any way that I can be of help, and they provide me with data. I return and provide them with some things. And I'm ready to help anyone who wants it. Uh, I mention in my report always there's a line that says suggestions, uh, questions, and corrections are always welcome, and corrections are, because when you do this kind of a report you're doing, but when I do my full reports, they combine to about 500 pages, and in 500 pages you're going to make typos that you won't find. There might be changes. I'll give you a, a quick example of one. Uh, one of the teams in the Midwest League I had mentioned in my report that they were community-owned and they were profitable. and Their attendance was rather low, but the people who worked the games were volunteers and so their expenses were low. Well, I got a comment from one of the other teams in the league that said, by the way, we're also community-owned and we're also profitable and I put that in. I told them, okay, I'm going to update my report. I'm going to I'm going to put that in as well. That's another thing that I can't know Is a team profitable? I have no way of knowing that.
3: Yeah, there's so much to break down. You're hitting on questions that I'm always trying to find out, uh, you know, with mixed results. But uh, David Cronheim, the Number Tamer. You can check out NumberTamer.com, again, for anyone who works in the industry or is just a fan who really likes to, uh, you know, really analyze what's going on in the industry. It's a great resource and uh, all available for free, publicly available um i've used it for years and david really appreciate you uh coming on the podcast and talking with sam and i
4: okay well thank you just want to remind everyone i have besides what you see on NumberTamer.com, you can go to the minor league page the major league page and download previous year's reports if you want that but i also have so much other data and if there's a question and i have something that i can provide it's done it's all free so just ask and i gladly send it. I send it to anyone. You don't have to work in baseball either to get it. If if you have students who actually are taking classes in sports administration who contact me, everybody gets it for free, and hopefully it's helpful.
3: Well, there you have it. Hit up the number tamer with, with any questions. Again, it's a great resource, and thanks again, David.
4: Well, thank you very much, and I look forward to reading your reports on your travels. I'm envious when i read about that because i've been to a lot of those ballparks but not nearly as many as you've been to and uh, i always read that and wish boy i wish i could be there too
3: hey well i appreciate it and looking looking to get back out there in 2022 same with me okay thank (laughs) you very much
0: Well, that was our interview with the Number Tamer. And coming out of that, just want to say to everybody, Seasons Greetings fans, MILB Store is spreading holiday cheer and bringing back 12 days of gifting. Take a spin each day between December 1st, which is uh, two days before you guys heard this podcast, and December 12th, so you have a little bit of time still, to receive up to 35% off on select team items. Each day brings a new product category to save on. Spin and enter daily for your chance to win a $100 e-gift card from MILBstore.com. Exclusions may apply. Visit MILBstore.com for official rules.
2: So, uh, the season of, uh, of gifting is here. I uh, haven't yet purchased a single... Holiday gift for anyone. So maybe I'll visit Um, But uh, fellas, let's uh, talk about what else we've got coming up on the site. Um, the ballpark guide series continues. And uh, we've all been tackling those from week to week. I'm currently working on uh, the Winston-Salem dash, the Winston-Salem dash. Um, But uh, the Altoona Curve was my most recent one. Ben, what about uh, you? What's been the latest? I know you were at Syracuse was uh, one of the most recent ones. What else is going on?
3: Yeah, I did Syracuse, NBT Bank Stadium. And following that was the Las Vegas Aviators, Las Vegas Vegas Ballpark. right. That is up uh, wherever ballpark guides are sold right now. (laughs) Um, As you said, the ballpark guides will be in a dedicated landing page uh, in the near future. But for now, you can find them on MILB's uh, fan section. It's MILB.com slash fans slash ballpark dash guide. So MILB.com ballpark guides. We're slowly and steadily doing them all. And uh, the last one that I had to appear on the site was Las Vegas the aviators I went there along with our good friend Josh Jackson in 2019 so had a lot of fresh memories and material to add to that one and uh, working on Fresno right now Chuck Chansey Park and that will be up in the nearish future for sure and uh speaking of our good friend Josh Jackson he has a San Jose ballpark guide excite ballpark that is now up in part of the project and you definitely want to read Josh Jackson when he talks about San Jose because uh it's an old ballpark, and Josh Jackson likes old things.
0: Yeah, there's one thing I want to bring up real quick in terms of San Jose because you've been there. I love as well. that ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean you you have a, a tweet included in Josh's write up here, which is great, and I highly recommend viewing these on like the biggest screen possible because the uh, production is stellar. Um, but also, there's just so many big pictures of the ballpark, and you can really get a sense, and a feel for these places. Um, but San Jose is like a big city that now hosts a minor league park, like you said, it's, it's an old one, but how does that kind of fit in? Like sometimes we're, when we're talking about these lower levels that used to be class A advanced, now it's low A. We think of these smaller towns, but San Jose is a a giant city in its own. It's it's a national hockey league city as well. So like, how does San Jose kind of fit in with the giants?
3: Well, it is an interesting, I mean, it's great proximity wise and the fact that so many uh, San Jose giants fans are just naturally you know, fans of the parent club in San Francisco. So it's great from that perspective. But yeah, it is, it is strange. This is a, at this point, low A West franchise, the lowest level of minor league baseball, but they're playing in a city, the San Jose Giants are, that, as Sam said, has an NHL team and that has uh, an actual population bigger than San Francisco itself. So it's unique in that regard. There were, you know, rumors and uh, machinations and maneuvering to maybe, you know, this was years ago, maybe try to move, San, uh, the San Francisco Giants to San Jose. so And it's the impressive. Oakland A's. There was discussion yeah. of that at one point too. And Oakland A's, absolutely. So it's funny. Um, so if San Jose for baseball is not a major league market, but they were building a new stadium today, that almost certainly would be for a Triple A team. But um, this ballpark, now called Excite Ballpark, but like so many ballparks built of its era, initially called Municipal Stadium, it's a WPA-era ballpark you know, um, built with new deal money and, uh, just a historic classic, awesome ballpark. So definitely an anomaly in terms of how old it is, um, within the city that it, uh, is located and how much that city has grown since the ballpark opened. But to see that team San Jose still thriving, uh, is a lot of fun and it does uh, make it a unique, um, a unique place to visit. And actually when Josh Jackson was working on this San Jose ballpark guide, he emailed me an interesting question. He said, I think San Jose has a higher population than San Francisco. That's got to be the only case, right, of a minor league club having a larger population than its major league affiliate. And I started racking my brain, and I came up with two off the top of my head that turned out to be correct. But the aforementioned Las Vegas Aviators are the AAA affiliate of the Oakland A's. Las Vegas has a larger population than Oakland. And San Antonio, Double A, San Diego. San Antonio now at this juncture in time has a larger population than San Diego. And then some interesting ones that now you know Josh and I started to really think about this. Indianapolis actually has a larger population than Pittsburgh, Triple A Indianapolis than uh, than Pittsburgh, and Triple A Columbus has a larger population than Cleveland.
2: I'm glad I was going to guess that last one. I'm very glad that that was correct. Columbus, And, and there was, might
3: be yeah, others. And thought. of course, other things go into this with the market itself. It's not just about, you know, hard and fast population in one city that justifies whether one thing is major league or one thing is minor league. But I do think it, it speaks to shifting demographics and that a lot of these cities that we think of as inherently major league are because they establish themselves as major league during a very different time in America in terms of where the population centers were. So it's a fun thing to explore.
2: There are uh, some pretty amazing photos in this story that uh, Josh has up on the site right now. There's one uh, from the, the 2021 uh, Low-A playoffs, the low a West playoffs. That is just stunning. A sunset picture um, with, I believe that's Visalia in town, uh, taking on San Jose. That is uh, just a gorgeous shot. Um, there's a picture of Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey in their 2009 season. Uh, As members of the San Jose Giants, uh, Josh, as Ben noted, it's a WPA ballpark. And Josh has a a phrase in which he calls Excite Ballpark, quote, a Works Progress Administration poem in concrete, which is just beautiful. Uh, And finally, if you have never seen Josh Jackson's headshot that adorns the top of all of his stories, uh, it makes me laugh hysterically every single time I see it. Uh, So you should check out that story because it is fantastic. Um, I always feel like he's judging me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> like
2: I it's love reading so Josh's
0: stuff and then he's like just staring at me judging me for reading his stuff.
2: It's like Josh you do great work. It's uh so when we started with uh with mlb.com um earlier this year when they kind of merged our operations from the milb side and the pipeline side they had us submit new headshots for our uh, our taglines and and being tagged as the authors of stories and Josh I <laughs> the conversation with Josh like what uh what's the deal with this picture buddy and i think he said something to the effect of like oh i didn't realize that was going to be going up on every single story that i wrote but now i don't know how to change it and it's just fantastic and it makes me so happy um it's part of his brand now we have right exactly exactly it's as though he's just heard like a slightly inappropriate joke like, that's the face that he's making. Um, like, he's judging you for laughing at it, but it's just great. Mine, uh, fun fact about my headshot picture, cropped out of that picture is MLB Network's John Paul Um, But... Uh, Great story on Excite Ballpark that is up on the site right now. Um, I've got one on uh, People's Natural Gas Field, the home of the Altoona Curve, singular, not the Altoona Curves. Um, although maybe there was a Curves in Altuna. Do Curves still exist, those those workout places? I don't know. That's a tangent. Oh, I, I was like, where are you <laughs> going with this? If curves still exist? I. That was one of our running jokes uh, when I worked in Altoona was the people who would call them the Curves, plural. Uh, but a uh, story that is Coming to the the site, uh, it's been done. Just waiting to uh, to be published, so you can check out that one for uh, for some fun stuff to find around Altoona. Ben, what do you have coming up next? You uh, just rolled out uh, Syracuse in Vegas. What's uh, on your timeline?
3: Yeah, Fresno is the next one. Chuck- Chuck Chansey
2: you said that. You said that, yep. and
3: I uh, but- it
2: fell out of my brain.
3: It never hurts to repeat things. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Repetition, repetition,
2: repetition. I'm with you. I am uh yeah, we're going on Winston Salem and um, that one I'm excited to uh, to get a chance to roll out. I haven't been to Winston Salem in a very long time, but it was one of my favorite ballparks um, when I was working in the Carolina league and Truist stadium is now the name uh, of that park. It was one of the many minor league ballparks that was named for BB and T bank for a while. And now a uh, different naming rights sponsored there, but Winston Salem, very cool city uh, in the cradle of minor league baseball in the Carolinas, So we got those coming up as well. Um, And speaking of Josh Jackson, our good friend whose uh, headshot makes it look like he just smelled a bad can of tuna fish. uh, He's coming up with ghosts of the minors next. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua
1: jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one once had a number one fan and then some Something about the others just doesn't add up. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Centralia Zeros B. The Port St. Joe Lucky Sevens C. The Niles 59ers If you guessed B or C, it was all for naught, as A. The Centralia Zeros made their time count in the Mississippi Ohio Valley League in 1951 and 1952. Starting not from nothing, but from a franchise created as the Centralia Cubs in the Illinois State League in 47, the Zeros had everything to lose when they changed their name from the Centralia Sterlings after taking first place in 1950. Taking their new name from a sponsor, the Zero White Chocolate and Nougat Bar, manufactured in Centralia by the Hollywood Brands Candy Company, the Zeros had a pretty sweet thing going in the first season with the moniker, winding up in second place. Playing their home games at Fans Field, a park built for a reported $63,000 in the inaugural 1947 season, the 51 Zeros were helmed by player manager Lou Zeke Bakiza, a holdover from the Cubs era, and went 69-51 and lost in the opening round of the playoffs. After finishing without much in their first season as the Zeros, they got zilch in their second, going 41-83 to end up 7th out of 8, with only the lowly team from Mattoon, Illinois finishing less than zero. (laughs) Team officials had considered taking the zero name away before the start of that year, but decided against that subtraction. The Centralia Evening Sentinel of that March 27 detailed a meeting at the Langenfield Hotel, in which the team's board of directors voted in favor of continuing to make the most of the zeros. The paper reported, Frank T. Egan, Advertising Manager for Hollywood Brands, Inc., attended the meeting, and contributed a substantial sum of money to the club. It's possible fans found those backdoor deals with candy dealers unsavory. <laughs> According to a 1963 Centralia Sentinel look at the town's baseball history, interest waned and the club was disbanded after 52, ending the professional era here. The Zero candy bar, however, lived on and, after a series of corporate maneuvers, exists today as a Hershey's product. The next time you bite into a Zero, you'll have much to think about. And that's what the Zeros amounted to. Now, onto the question for next time. Which of these nonsensical complex combos played it up in the miners of yesteryear? A. The Benton Harbor orange wires be the Pine Point Goose Gunners. C, the Fort Walton Beach Jets. Want to know the answer? Keep it simple, smarty. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill just bet his last buck on the old gray mare. And she ain't what she used to be. <laughs>
2: Big thanks to our friend Josh Jackson for swinging by another episode of the show before the show. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. Uh, We're in somewhat uncharted waters, but um, as noted at the beginning, uh, we are going to continue pushing forward with uh, all the minor league content that you have grown to know and love uh, from this show. So did I miss anything? We literally, like 30 seconds ago, we're like, what else should we cover in this last segment? I've, I've already forgotten. (laughs) No, the only thing I want to bring up to both of you because Ben is
0: still here. Ben is not usually around for this final segment. Could a team be named the Zeros today? Even if it was named after a candy bar?
3: I don't think you have a sponsored team name anymore. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: No, but just like let's. There was another
2: another reason.
0: For some reason, that just seems like that's
2: never going to happen. The Zeros. It's a cool name. Who um, was it in the art of? fielding that uh was henry's glove named zero i believe that's what it was uh uh, i'm i'm being
0: uh... we can save that for another day of my art of fielding takes because i have art of fielding takes do you yeah
2: oh what i
0: don't know what it was but a lot of people told me this book was made for you and then i read it and i was like i need to read look into some stuff because you didn't like the art of fielding it didn't hit me in the way it hit a lot of other people what i am yeah. stunned by this news. this is this
2: can be a preview for future podcasts wow. so you on that cliffhanger interesting maybe we should do a little baseball book club that'd be fun That would. That would um be wow i am genuinely stunned by that yeah we'll talk off mic okay we'll, okay we'll, we'll organize um also is that field of beans behind you is that where you guys no. are right now? Oh. Field of Beans is on a different floor. Never mind. Field of Beans is the name of the uh, the coffee shop inside the MLB headquarters, uh, and I'm not making that up. But I saw like some hanging can lights there, and I thought of the one time when I was able to get coffee at Field of Beans, and I was very excited about it. I thought that was it, but it's not. So never mind. Uh love making comments on visual things on an audio <laughs> podcast. Anyway, Sam and I are gonna go debate Char- Chad Harbaugh's masterpiece, The Art of Fielding. And uh, for Benjamin Hill and Sam Dijkstra and Joshua Jackson, my name is Tyler Ron. We'll talk to you next week.
3: Yeah, I didn't like that book either. Wow.